0: Uh, this weekend, we're uh, continuing a uh, topic that I began last night dealing with uh, dependent arising, and specifically dependent arising of the self in relation to others. And just to uh, review a little bit of what we uh, covered, uh, this uh, topic is a uh, merging, in a sense, of uh, the uh, Buddhist topic of dependent arising with uh, uh, further uh, analysis of that that we get from uh, contextual therapy. Contextual therapy is a branch of family therapy, which uh, speaks about uh, not just uh, uh, one's own individual uh, psychological profile, but also uh, uh, how that is uh, affected by the dynamics of the systems within which uh, you interact with others, like the family. And this, of course, is uh, very consistent with the uh, Buddhist view. We don't exist uh, independently of everything else, just by ourselves. We all exist within the context of uh, uh, family, environment, work environment, etc. And dependent arising is uh, speaking about uh, how everything is interconnected and uh, how uh, when you affect something within a system, it affects everything else in the system. Here, what uh, we uh, deal with in terms of uh, dependent arising, uh, the dependent arising of me, ourself, you, the other person, and the relationship between us. And uh, all of these are, uh, arise dependently on many different uh, factors, Uh, causes, uh, parts, and a conceptual framework with which we specify uh, these. So when we speak about uh, ourself, uh, we uh, um, arise in uh, each moment dependent on previous moments of ourself. Remember, Buddhism uh, is focusing on what is happening right now. And what is happening right now doesn't last very long, obviously, and uh, it's constantly, constantly changing. So we grow from moment to moment based on our history. In other words, uh, what we've experienced in the past affects uh, uh, ourselves and uh, how we respond to new situations. Same is true about you, and the same thing is true about our relationship, whatever type of relationship we might have, that also grows, changes from moment to moment. It has its own history. And uh, all of this uh, uh, self, other, and uh, relationships are going to be affected by the context within which uh, it occurs. In other words, what's going on around us, what other people we interact with. And there's also going to uh, be a type of dependence on Parts. In other words, uh, with ourselves, we have various aspects of ourselves: our business life, our family life, our sports life, many, many different uh, parts and aspects. But there are also things like our emotional life and our intellectual life. And uh, these change and grow through our life. And the same thing is happening with you. And if we look at our relationship, that also is going to Uh, grow and change over time as we share different parts of ourselves with each other. And, of course, we have many relationships, not just a relationship with one person, and all these variables will change and be different in each relationship. And uh, also, um, we have... um, another type of uh, dependent arising, which is uh, uh, relational. In other words, uh, uh, there are uh, two things that arise simultaneously that are relative to each other, like, for instance, long and short. You can't have long without there also being short. And so the same thing is true in terms of self Uh, We can't really have self without there being non-self. This fits in with the Buddhist concept of uh, uh, specification. When I uh, see this uh, glass, for example, what I see directly is uh, um, the glass. But uh, also I know that it's not something else. I know that it's a glass. So we're able to specify that uh, it's a glass by uh, differentiating it from everything else. It's not a glass. So it's the same thing when we speak about uh, uh, our own individuality as a person. We can't really be an individual unless it is relative to others who are not me. If you think about that, that does make sense. So... uh, Self and other arise dependently on each other, relative to each other, like long and short, long and not long. So we have something a little bit similar to this in uh, the uh, Buddhist uh, presentation of what's known as the three spheres of uh, an action. When uh, we speak about uh, a self who is hugging somebody, that can't exist independently of another person being hugged and the action of hugging. So these three can't exist independently all by themselves. You can't be hugging somebody unless there's somebody that you're hugging. And uh, you can't have that whole thing occur, you know, this interaction between the two people without there being a hugging. And also, Uh, this whole interaction is dependent on concepts and words, the concept of hugging, which uh, has a certain definition and a certain meaning to different people, different cultures. So if I put my arms around you, uh, I might consider that hugging and that it has a certain connotation that I like you. The other person, of course, might think, why is this person putting their arms around me? Maybe they want to wrestle and throw me on the floor. Uh, (laughs) You can get into a lot of trouble, actually, uh, in terms of uh, greeting somebody. You know how in some cultures you uh, kiss each other uh, greeting on the cheek. And uh, in each culture, the number of times that you kiss is very significant. And whether your lips actually touch the person's uh, cheek or not. And whether you make a sound, like, mwah, you know, with, uh, with the uh, kiss. And I have uh, had experience with being misunderstood when <laughs> I greeted somebody, a woman, from uh, a different culture from my own. And I, uh, um, my lips actually touched this person's cheek, which is not the custom in uh, her country. And she completely misunderstood that I was attracted to her and so on. And it led to terrible misunderstanding. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, dependent arising in terms of concepts and names, labels of uh, uh, the various things that we do is uh, very important. The action itself doesn't uh, exist as uh, hugging from its own side or as ki- or greeting from its own side. So uh, the same thing in terms of uh, uh, me, you, our relationships. How we conceptualize the uh, relationship is uh, uh, very important. It can be that uh, the relationship is that we're just friends or we're partners. And then, well, what does partner actually mean? And all of this uh, gets uh, very, very confusing in a relationship. So how that relationship actually exists, what it is, is dependent very much on the concepts. And the two people involved may have very different concepts (laughs) of the relationship. Often that happens. So uh, contextual therapy adds some more variables that uh, fit into this uh, presentation of dependent arising. And this is one of the areas in which uh, uh, we can uh, further expand the uh, uh, development of Buddhism as uh, it uh, spreads around the world. We had the uh, dimension of factual variables like uh, the two people in a relationships, their ages, their, uh, where they come from, what language they speak, what gender they are, etc. cetera. And we have the uh, dimension of psychological variables, so the emotional, psychological uh, profile of each person is going to uh, affect the relationship. Their levels of intelligence, their uh, uh, levels of uh, sensitivity, maturity, that affects everything. Then there's the dimension of systemic variables. So uh, what system does their uh, relationship occur in? How does that affect their interaction, like being in, a, uh, um, in the army, being in a uh, Muslim society, uh, being in a, uh, a very uh, restrictive uh, family? All of that will affect how each person interacts with the other. Right, the voice, the uh, office environment and also the general way in which uh, two people interact. Some can be very aggressive, some can be very passive. These type of variables are here as well. Domineering, you know, submissive. Then we have the dimension of relational ethics. And that has to do with uh, balance of fairness and consideration of each other. Like, for instance, the balance between giving and taking. There could be someone in the relationship that always gives to the other, and then the other person is always a a taker and doesn't give anything in return. And there can be a lot of resentment. Uh, Also included here would be things like, uh, how do the two people share expenses? How do they share the workload at home? These type of things also, uh, again, this needs to be fair. And if it's not fair, there's a lot of resentment problems. And the last one was the dimension of relational self other establishment. And this uh, dealt with uh, the type of uh, um, relation of me and you that are established in the relationship. Like, for instance, uh, is it a um, uh, self and it? In other words, I just uh, uh, treat you as if you were an object, and it without taking into consideration your feelings and so on. Like uh, we might have that type of uh, relation with uh, the uh, clerk at the store at the checkout counter. We just consider this person an it. We're not really interested in their emotional life or their home life or anything like that. Or it can be an it and other. Like for instance, uh, if we are uh, involved in social work, We're only really interested in the other person's uh, life, their emotional difficulties, and for them we're in it. We don't share with them our own personal life. And uh, then there is the true I-you type of relationship in which uh, both sides can switch back and forth between subject and uh, um, uh, being the subject. So in that type of uh, relationship, You relate to the other person without judgments, without preconceptions. Just very open to the other person, to everything about them. And we can also relate to the other person as a we. Sort of merge with uh, the other person. Like uh, often that happens in a couple that uh, we don't like to do that. You know, in which uh, they uh, speak as if they were a unit. Uh, There are two other modes, but uh, we don't need to go into too much detail about them. One is uh, uh, when you establish yourself in relation to uh, some sort of uh, um, cause or project or something like that. And then there's uh, another type, which is uh, when you uh, are, uh, um, the relation you have, let's say, with your conscience, that you're always talking back and forth with your conscience, You shouldn't do that. Oh, it's bad. Uh, This back and forth within yourself. Those are two other modes. So uh, this is the basic theory that uh, we've covered. And uh, what I'd like to do uh, this weekend is to apply this uh, five-dimensional analysis to the uh, dependent arising of three specific types of relationships that we enter into as a uh, serious uh, Buddhist practitioner. So in each of our three sessions on this topic, we will discuss one of these uh, types of relationships. First, as a uh, Mahayana Buddhist practitioner, we are striving to benefit all sentient beings. That means absolutely everybody. So Um. what type of relationship do you establish in that type of framework with everybody. And everybody means anybody that I meet. Uh, How do I, what type of relationship do I establish? And the third is uh, the relationship that uh, you establish in specifically tantric practice, when you identify with a uh, specific Buddha figure, it's called a Yidam. And we'll explain that when we get to that uh, part. And uh, in all three of these, we'll look at what is the optimal way of uh, uh, that relationship working and the conventional obstacles that could arise that we have to watch out for and the deepest obstacles that can arise when we don't understand the reality of what's actually going on in our interaction and relationship. And uh, lastly, we'll look at uh, uh, how... This type of relationship affects our personal relationships with uh, family, close friends, and so on, because uh, sometimes there can be great conflicts, like uh, when your teacher is uh, leading a uh, meditation retreat, but uh, your partner wants you to go with them on vacation to the beach. What do you do? So... I think it's very helpful to uh, use this uh, five-dimensional analysis from contextual therapy to identify some of the typical problems that can arise for Buddhist uh, practitioners. It gives us a very good framework for being able to understand uh, these issues. Okay, first then, let's uh, look at uh, the relationship that we have with all sentient beings, with everybody, when we are working to attain enlightenment in order to be able to benefit them the most. This actually is a, you know, you can say, oh, theoretically, how wonderful that is. And you sit in your meditation, and yes, I'm working for all beings. But what do you do (laughs) in your actual everyday life? This is uh, why this type of analysis is very important. We're not just dealing with sitting on your meditation cushion and imagining helping everybody, but uh, with real-life situations. So factual variables. Optimally, uh, we should be able to relate to anybody according to the bodhisattva model, model, no matter what our everyday situation might be. So it shouldn't matter how old we are, whether we're a man or a woman. shouldn't matter what... uh, uh, country we come from, what language we speak, it shouldn't matter if we are uh, uh, sick, if we're busy. Doesn't yeah. matter what work we're doing. Optimally, we're able to, you know, uh, relate like a bodhisattva to everybody and anybody that we meet. That's not easy, is it? And uh, in terms of the others we should be able to relate to them as a bodhisattva regardless of their situation. So it shouldn't matter how old they are, whether they're sick, whether they're healthy, what uh, country they come from, what language they speak. And uh, uh, obviously we can see that uh, this is very, very challenging. I mean, in theory, if you're going to do the real Buddhist thing, it shouldn't matter what life form they are either. It could be a cockroach. Equal to everybody. So that includes animals, insects, everybody. I mean, this is the consequence of the Buddhist teaching to regard everybody as having been our mother in some previous life. Well, take that seriously. So what are the conventional obstacles that arise in doing this type of practice? On the factual level? It would be that uh, our everyday situation is too challenging or too difficult. Overwhelming, like being too busy. I'm too busy to deal with you. I have too much work to do. Or we're too sick, or we're too tired, or we're too poor. Optimally, that shouldn't matter. But obviously, those are very difficult situations for us to continue to be like a bodhisattva with everybody that we meet. And conventional obstacle in terms of others would be that uh, their situation is too uh, challenging, like uh, they're too busy, or they're too sick, or they're disabled. I don't know how to deal with somebody who, you know, is crippled, this type of thing. It's too yeah. difficult, you know, when the other person is, is very sick and we're afraid that we'll catch their disease. And then there are deepest obstacles as well, which would be identifying ourselves or the others as being self-established. That means, you know, rigidly, permanently, you know, identifying them with uh, one or, you know or another set of these factual variables, and being unable to relate to somebody else that we solidly identify with some facts about them, because it's just too different from us, like. Uh, Identifying strongly with being a, a man or a woman and saying, I can't really relate to somebody, to the other uh, sex. <inaudible> like, I'm a man and feeling that I can't, I can't possibly relate to a woman and understand all the problems that a woman has, or vice versa. Or, I'm an American and you're a Russian, I can't possibly, I identify so strongly with being American and you so strongly as being Russian as opposed to just being human beings, that uh, I say, I can't possibly understand you. I can't possibly relate to you. I don't even speak your language. That's the deepest obstacle. Or identifying, you know, I'm a young person, and I can't possibly relate to old people. Or to somebody who has cancer. These sort of uh, obstacles, where we strongly identify with uh, uh, our factual situation and strongly identify the other person with their factual situation and say, too different. Too much difference. <laughs> I strongly identify with my factual situation and identify no, 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 you. Uh, example. Before it, ex- hmm? The example before it. Yeah. So when we have these types of uh, obstacles, we really need to uh, uh, practice much more strongly in terms of uh, uh, seeing that everybody is a, uh, um, a person who has feelings, just as I do. They have the same emotional uh, problems, and uh, they all have to deal with birth, and old age, and death, and sickness, and things like that, and uh, not identify them strongly with uh, one particular situation. And no matter how tired we might be, or how busy we might be, uh, or uh, how sick we might be, if somebody needs our help, we need to be able to do whatever we're capable of at that time, not say, I can't help you, as if it were our closest friend or our closest relative that needed our help. So now the dimension of psychological variables, optimally, it should be that uh, we have love, understanding, patience, etc., equally toward everybody. And uh, we have the ability to take in all the information from somebody else, to really listen to them carefully, to be able to see the patterns, to understand what's going on with them, and others, optimally, it wouldn't matter what their psychological or emotional state is. We're working to benefit everybody. So even if somebody is deeply emotionally disturbed, a very angry person, or even if somebody has deep psychological problems, still, we have bodhisattva behavior toward them. We're working to benefit this person as well. We're not turned off or afraid and we have a good understanding to be able to discriminate what would be helpful for this person and what would not be helpful. You know, even just a smile to somebody is a wonderful gift. Now, the conventional obstacles in the psychological realm are us lacking an equal attitude toward everybody, that we're attracted to some and repelled from others, and we tend to ignore yet others or we're overwhelmed by our own disturbing emotions, like we still haven't uh, conquered our uh, um, uh, anger or our lust, or we're still very self-centered, or we overestimate our ability to deal with uh, difficult people. And The conventional obstacles in terms of others would be that uh, they are overwhelmed by their anger or uh, uh, whatever disturbing emotion may, they may have and we're uh, unprepared to be able to deal with them. We don't know how to deal with this person that is so angry, so upset. Or, for instance, the other person has, uh, is in a nursing home with uh, Alzheimer's disease and we—I mean it's just too difficult. We have no idea how to uh, actually relate to this person. In fact, we are uh, afraid <laughs> to be with them because it makes us feel so uncomfortable. And the deepest obstacle would be uh, us identifying concretely with already being a bodhisattva, and we haven't really dealt with our unresolved psychological and emotional issues. You know, we imagine, oh, I'm a bodhisattva, I can deal with everybody. But uh, we still haven't really dealt with our uh, uh, sexual attraction to some uh, people. So that starts to interfere very much with uh, our uh, trying to help others, because then we're trying to also, in a sense, get them to like us and all of that, seduce them, in a sense. If we're going to try to work as a bodhisattva, we really need a a highly developed uh, level of uh, emotional maturity. That's the dimension of psychological variables. We could also, by the way, try to, uh, we could also confuse Trying to be a bodhisattva with being a martyr or a saint. That also gets very, very confusing. I will help everybody and it doesn't matter what happens to me. You know, this sort of martyr mentality. I'm so holy. I'm the saint. I'm helping everybody. (laughs) You see, by analyzing in this way with these variables and looking at the obstacles that uh, can arise, it gives us uh, very good guidelines of uh, what to examine in ourselves if we are, in fact, trying to follow the bodhisattva path. What are the problems that come up? Don't be naive to think that it's so easy. It's not easy at all. It's very advanced. If you look at the... uh, structure of the lam rim, the graded stages of the path, this bodhisattva behavior is advanced. It's not for beginners. With the initial level, we've developed self-control, basically. So that uh, we, when we have that impulse to yell at somebody or to uh, try to uh, seduce them or impress them or things like that, we have enough self-control to not do that. And with the intermediate level, we've dealt with our emotional problems, our disturbing emotions, at least to some level of uh, success, so that uh, we're not overwhelmed by anger or lust or uh, uh, jealousy, these sort of things. So it's on that basis that uh, we can then try to practice the bodhisattva behavior on the advanced level. Because uh, we have uh, tried to, uh, through our previous work on the initial and uh, intermediate levels, we have tried to minimize these obstacles that could come up. Okay, the dimension of systemic variables, the third dimension. Optimally, uh, we should be able to uh, keep our commitment to benefit all beings, no matter what type of system we live in. Whether it's, uh, whether we uh, Uh, have a family and live in a family, or whether we live on our own, whether we live in a monastery. It shouldn't matter if we're in an aggressive society, like in a prison or a military. In the army, we still should be able to be like a bodhisattva, trying to help everybody. Or if we live in a society with very strong competition and this me-first attitude. Uh, Then it's very difficult to want to benefit everybody. Everybody's saying, you know, be first, just me, 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 me. And others, optimally, it doesn't matter what society or family situation they're in, we are able to work with them and interact with them as a bodhisattva. There are many conventional obstacles that arise in this dimension. We could be in a family or in a business in which we have so many responsibilities, it leaves us very little time to uh, help others. We have to raise a family, we have to make money, etc. Or there's uh, pressure to uh, follow the uh, customs of the society or the group that we're part of, like when you're in the army, and uh, it conflicts with uh, our Buddhist values. And in terms of others, the most uh, uh, heavy type of a conventional obstacle is when people who have close relationships with us like members of our family, our partners, our friends, demand an exclusive relationship with us, an exclusive commitment. Just be with me. Don't go out and try to help others, just me. That could make a horrible conflict. That often happens, uh, that your partner is not at all into uh, Buddhism and you want to go to a teaching Or you want to go and uh, work, you know, in some social benefit thing. And they say, no, you know, stay home and watch TV with me. You don't love me because you want to go out. And then the deepest obstacle is uh, us identifying concretely with being a Buddhist and becoming inflexible when dealing with non-Buddhists. Like like being inflexible and, you know, insisting that they believe in uh, reincarnation. These type of things with uh, people who are... Completely in a different type of uh, uh, mentality. <laughs> then the uh, fourth dimension is the dimension of relational ethics. Uh, so you know, from the Buddhist point of view, we've received the kindness of everybody when they've been our mothers, so uh, optimally, we are committed to being available to them at any time and to accepting to place their interests before our own and we are willing to help them and to be kind and nice to them without expecting anything whatsoever in return not even a thank you and uh, um, also uh, we don't make uh, uh, any differences from uh, um, you know friend, enemy, uh, stranger we show kindness to all of them equally and optimally Others would receive uh, direct benefit from our interaction with them. That's what we're hoping for, optimally. That we know how to deal with them and that we do the right thing. Uh, Conventional obstacles could be that uh, our uh, past or present uh, uh, experiences of uh, injustices. For instance, uh, we were treated unfairly by others block us from uh, being uh, uh, kind to others and generous to others. For example, if our parents never showed us affection, then we feel that was unfair, and unconsciously we seek affection from uh, others that we're trying to help. It makes a block in us. So in helping others, we actually have a self-serving motivation that we want them to Show us affection and appreciation because we never got that from our parents. And then uh, in terms of others, the conventional obstacle would be them making uh, unfair demands on us. And they become dependent on us. And uh, they resent the kindness that we show to others. And uh, then the uh, deepest obstacle is uh, uh, identifying correctly, with, concretely with being a bodhisattva. And imagining that we have uh, the wisdom and understanding to know how to help everybody when, in fact, we don't. Know how to be kind to everybody when, in fact, we don't know how to do that at all. You know, confusing being a bodhisattva with uh, being a saint and all we need to do is go around and bless everybody. You know, this type of uh, absurdity. You know, you know, that I'm just sitting here and I just have to radiate out white light to everybody and send out love and I don't have to actually get off my seat and do anything to help you. You know, these Dharma fanatics that, uh, you know, somebody needs your help in carrying a heavy package up the stairs and you're just, ah, how nice, and you, oh, you, money, pay me home, oh, money, pay me home, you know. <laughs> okay. Then the uh, dimension of relational self-other establishment. Uh, Optimally, we're able to establish a global we in which uh, self and all others are equal. We all want to be happy, including myself, and not to be unhappy. So we consider uh, all of us as part of uh, humanity, part of sentient beings. And no matter whom we meet, we're able to establish a true I-U dialogue in other words, we don't judge them. We don't have preconceptions about them. We accept them, the reality of uh, uh, the type of uh, person they are. And optimally, it doesn't matter in terms of others whether or not they're able to establish a true I-U dialogue with us. Shouldn't make any difference. You know how interesting it is sometimes uh, you have friendships in which uh, you are very concerned about the other person. and. You ask them, you know, how are things going with you? And you listen to their whole story, and they never ask you how you are. So as a bodhisattva, it shouldn't matter to us. Uh, conventional obstacles is uh, uh, having difficulty overcoming the self-it mode of relation, relationships in which we're basically just using the other persons as instruments for gaining merit, for example. We don't really care about them personally as individuals. Uh, For example, I have a website, Study Buddhism, and uh, just being concerned with how many uh, visitors I get to the website. Oh, had this many visitors today. They're all its. You know, they're not really people. They're just Uh. numbers. So, you know, I'm benefiting, trying to benefit all beings, but... It's really just numbers of beings. It's not actually real people. This is a big danger, big obstacle. How many likes do I get? Do you really care about the other person? No, just the number of likes. And a conventional obstacle on the side of others would be them imposing their mode of relating on us, like for instance, uh, they want to merge with us and become a we, an exclusive we. That uh, you know, just you know, possess me. You know, the, the uh, uh, us as uh, their savior, uh, or it can also be uh, uh, their tendency to treat us as an object. That's a conventional obstacle. That uh, uh, in trying to help everybody, their way of relating to us is just as an object. We try to, they don't care about us. You know, we're, we're helping them. But when others treat us as an object, then we can start to feel, well, you know, I'm a real person, too. And uh, I need, you know, more than uh, just uh, um, helping you. You know, you have this in families, in which uh, the uh, children relate to the uh, parents. Even when the children are adults, they still relate to the parent as an object, as a mother or father, and not really as a human being that has feelings and problems and uh, other things. So that's, you know, that's difficult if you're trying to establish uh, a, an I-U relationship and they're still looking at you as just, you know, Bodhisattva or teacher or mother or father, and not yeah. as a real person. Now, deepest obstacle would be us identifying concretely with the merger into a global we and within that we losing any sense of our own or others' individuality. We just sort of merge into one big soup of, you know, us. You know, uh, within this context of seeing everybody as equal and, you know, merging in that equality of all of us in which nobody is special, then... It's very easy to lose sight of the individuality of each person, regardless of nobody being special. Everybody is an individual and has their own individual needs and uh, circumstances. Hmm. So these are the uh, five dimensions that uh, affect relationships that we have with uh, all beings, which means a relationship that we have with anybody if we're working to benefit everybody. So we can see it's no small undertaking to uh, try to follow bodhisattva behavior and uh, uh, work to benefit everyone. There are many, many obstacles that could come up. And we need to be aware of them and watch out for them and apply methods to try to overcome them and not pretend to be at a higher stage of uh, spiritual development than we actually are. The last point here is how to deal with close personal relationships while we're working to benefit all beings. While trying to benefit everybody, we still have our parents, we still have our family members, we still have close friends, etc. How do we make the balance in our relationships with them, with our uh, bodhisattva behavior toward all beings? In the mind training text, uh, Seven Point Mind Training, there's a very relevant piece of advice. We find the advice, always meditate toward those set aside as close. And uh, what that means is to set aside special time to be with our family members, especially our children and our partners and close friends, and be reliable in keeping that commitment. You see, it's very important when uh, we're working to benefit all of society, that uh, our close family members don't feel as though we're abandoning them. So if we explain, well, you know, I have a lot of other work that I need to do, but every morning we'll have breakfast together. So you give them something. And you are very, very strict in keeping that commitment so that you're reliable. Then they don't feel so abandoned. You've given them something. But if you say to your children, well, I'll play with you when I have time, then uh, (laughs) it's very uh, uh, uncertain when you'll ever have time. leaves the child in a terrible uh, state of insecurity. But if the child knows that every Saturday morning you're going to be there and you're going to play with him or her, then uh, there's something to look forward to, Uh something that gives them security. A conventional obstacle would be us not making time for our family members or partners or close friends, or resenting the time that uh, uh, we... uh, that is taken away from our working with others. We resent having to be with them and spend time with them. I have to play this stupid card game with you, this type of thing. You know, if we are... If we say that, okay, I will spend some time with you. Like, for instance, uh, with my mother, she liked to watch uh, quiz shows on TV and ask me if I could answer some of the questions, which I, I mean, I really didn't like to do that at all and wasn't the slightest bit interested in that. So an obstacle would be if I had to sit there and watch the TV with her and answer these questions that I resent that and I complain about it. And I'm looking at my watch, you know, when, is, you know, when can I leave? This type of uh, obstacle is there. You resent the time taken away from your more important work to spend time with your family. And uh, a conventional obstacle from the side of our family members and friends are them feeling neglected and resentful of our time spent in working to help others. You know, our mother constantly complaining, you know, why don't you call me more often? Why don't you come visit me? And the deepest obstacle is taking the equality of all beings as a justification for not making any special time with our family. And because uh, in traditional Buddhist teachings, they don't really address these type of problems that come up. I think that uh, when we add this uh, um, structure, this analytical structure, from contextual therapy. It gives us a framework for being able to examine these type of problems and try to avoid them. So why don't we take our break, and uh, during the second session at the end, I'll leave time for uh, questions.